Jesus House in pursuit of God, discovering purpose, maximizing potential, impacting lives. This message is being brought to you from Jesus House London. God bless you. Today on the Christian calendar is, is a special day. Uh, it is the Sunday before Resurrection Sunday. Traditionally, um, amongst Christians, it's called Palm Sunday. Uh, it's the start of what is called the Holy Week, uh, the week that uh, leads up to the crucifixion and thankfully, as we will celebrate next, next Sunday, the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, it's called Palm Sunday um, because uh, as Jesus rode into Jerusalem, um, bef- the, the week before, a few days before his crucifixion and then uh, the week before his resurrection, uh, that, that procession as he rode in uh, on a court uh, is called the triumphal procession. And as he rode in, there was a lot of excitement uh, by the crowds that had gathered. And, and the excitement was because their king was coming uh, into Jerusalem. And um, they would cut palm fronds uh, from the trees that lined the road. And they would uh, wave the palm fronds in their excitement. And they would lay the palm fronds uh, on the cobbled road um, so that the donkey could get a firmer, or the colt could get a firmer footing as it carried their king, their, their, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, into Jerusalem. And so it's traditionally been called Palm Sunday. And um, I want to, to start what I want to share with you uh, with a foundational text. Actually, it's the text that records that triumphal procession. And if you turn in your Bibles to Matthew's Gospel, the 21st chapter, I would have loved to read verses 1 to 11 to you, uh, but I'm conscious of time, so I will paraphrase verses 1 uh, to 6, and then I will read verses 7 to 11 to you. It starts with Jesus giving an instruction uh, uh, to his disciples. He sends two of them to go into the village. He says to them, that when you enter the village, you will find a donkey tied with a colt beside it. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone asks you where you're taking them, let those people know that the master has need of these, these animals, has need of the donkey and the colt. Now, the Bible says all this took place to fulfill prophecy. Um, and, and the prophecy were, was the prophecy that was given by the prophets Isaiah and Zechariah uh, about the king, their king, riding in on a donkey. So let's read from verse 7. That's where I wanted us to go. They brought the donkey and the colt to him and threw their garments over the colt and he sat on it. Most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him and and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Jesus was in the center of the procession and, and the people all around him were shouting, praise God for the son of David. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in highest heaven. The entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered, who is this? They asked. And the crowds replied, it's Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Now, it was a mixed crowd that lined the streets as Jesus rode in on this court. 
Of course, there would be those who believed in Jesus, but trust me, there would have been skeptics and cynics um, and those who just came out of curiosity. And I'm sure that there were a lot of people who were there who really didn't like Jesus. But because the whole crowd was praising him, and you know the way, the way crowds move, then even the skeptics, the cynics, and possibly those who didn't like him would have joined in the praise. Praise God for the son of David. Blessings on him who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in the highest, the, the crowd shouted. But my focus is Jesus. For a long time, he had conducted his ministry in a quiet way. And all, all along, uh, you would find examples of where he would move away from the crowds once he had finished conducting the ministry, his ministry. He had shunned the limelight, shunned this kind of adulation. But then, on this occasion, he didn't shun it. He sat on the dunk, on the colt, and rode in publicly into Jerusalem. He was, in a sense, heading to his death. Not in a sense, he was heading to his death. He knew he was heading to his death. He had told his disciples uh, when they had their last supper about him going to die. He knew he had an appointment with his death in Jerusalem. He was publicly riding into the hands of the enemy. He knew the kind of death he was facing. It was going to be a gruesome death. He knew because the prophets had prophesied it hundreds of years before. And he, being a, a student of the word of God, as we know, he had read what the prophets said about him. He had no illusions as to what he was heading towards. He was riding on this colt into Jerusalem, into the hands of the enemy, to meet a most painful and gruesome death. He would have had the words of the prophets and the psalmist ringing in his ears. Isaiah says in Isaiah 53 verse 7, He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep is silent before the sharers, he did not open his mouth. He knew that was him, that he was heading into a place where he was going to be oppressed, treated harshly, that this, this prophetic utterance that was recorded in the books that he re read, he knew that it was referring to him. He would have known, as the psalmist says in Psalms 22, verses 7 to 8, everyone who sees me mocks me. They snare and shake their heads, saying, Is this the one who relies on the Lord? Then let the Lord save him. If the Lord loves him so much, let the Lord rescue him. He knew that this was a scriptural reference to him. He would have remembered what the psalmist says in Psalms 22, verses 17 to 18. I can count all my bones. My enemies stare at me and gloat. They divide my garments among themselves and throw dice for my clothing. He was under no illusions as to where he was headed. He was headed to a gruesome death on a cross. Why would he then go with such determination, with such focus, knowing that this is what was awaiting him? To the casual observer who was observing the scene, 
not knowing what was going through his mind, not knowing what he knew, they could have thought that he was being encouraged along by the noise of the crowd, by the praises, by the shouting, by the waving of the palm fronds, by the adulation, by the, by the, the crowd taking off their prayer shawls and, 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 and cutting palm fronds and as acts of loyalty and submission, laying that in the path of the donkey. They could have thought that it was the, the chairs of the crowds on, on either side that was propelling him on this journey into Jerusalem. None of them knew what awaited him. And yet they would have thought that he was going, carried along in this tide of praise and adulation uh, and enjoying it as he rode uh, on a colt into Jerusalem. But I would like to submit to you that it was none of these things that was driving him. And incidentally, if you want a title for the message, uh, those of you who, who put titles on your messages, when you keep them, it's driven by love. He knew that this same crowd in a few days would be baying for his blood as they did. Uh, because it was the same people, more or less, who a few days later were crying, crucify him, crucify him. He wasn't listening to their praises. He knew their praises were fickle and their praises would change in the twinkling of an eye if circumstances changed. So what was driving him? You see, he knew our sins, our rebellion, our taking God for granted had created a gulf between us and God. He knew that our relationship with God had been severed. He knew that by our actions, we had become God's enemies. He also knew how much God loved us and desired a restoration of my relationship with him, your relationship with him, our relationship with him. He understood what the Bible tells us. Romans 5 verse 8, the Passion Translation says, But Christ proved God's passionate love for us by dying in our place while we were still lost and ungodly. He understood that God had a passionate love for us. The heart of a father yearning for a son or a daughter who has gone astray, gone away, gone into rebellion, turned his or her back on him to come back to him. The heart of a father who, who is pained and grieved by the actions of a son or a daughter who by their actions are spurning the love that he has for them. He knew all these things. He knew, as the Bible says in 1 John 4, Verses 9 and 10. The light of God's love shined within us when he sent his matchless son into the world so that we might live through him. This is love. He loved us long before we loved him. It was his love, not ours. He proved it by sending his son to be the pleasing sacrificial offering to take us away. He knew that God loved us. He, he felt the love of the father for us. He felt the pain of the father. When a child turns away from you and he knew that he had to go and do something about it. He was driven by love to do something about it. He also knew that the consequences of not having our relationship with God restored were severe, unthinkable, actually. The consequences of not having us back in God's fold, back as God's children, back in God's household. The consequences of not having God as our father, he knew that they were severe. 
He understood what the Bible says in Romans, the sixth chapter and the 23rd verse. The traditional versions say, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. I like the Passion Translation. For sin's meager wages is death, but God's lavish gift is life eternal, found in your union with our Lord Jesus, the Anointed One. He knew that the consequence of a severed relationship with God is a death. It might not be a physical death immediately, but a life without God, frankly, the person is dead, the walking dead. He knew that. He knew that without God, the person becomes cannon fodder for a wicked, evil, devious, scheming enemy to play with his life, to bring shame and disgrace and humiliation and, and unnecessary suffering. He knew that. He knew that without the wisdom of God, it is impossible to navigate life. And we will simply be reeling to and fro like a drunken man on a ship in a storm on the high seas. He knew that. As he rode on that court, he wasn't seeing the crowds, the thousands of them that they were. He wasn't seeing them. He was seeing you. He was seeing me. He wasn't hearing their shouts. He was hearing your name as he rode on that colt. You know, um, the great theologian Augustine says this. He says, God loves each of us as if it was only us. And I want you to know that that's the truth. God loves you as if it is only you. Stop thinking about it in terms of six billion. Yes, he has the capacity to love six billion. But as Jesus rode into Jerusalem on that cult, right before his eyes, where he wasn't seeing the crowds. He wasn't seeing the road. He was seeing you, David, John, Agu, Shola, Emeka, Ngozi, Jennifer, and whatever, whatever other names that they, our names are. He was seeing you. He was driven by the sight of you. He was driven to go to a gruesome death at the, at the cross by knowing that it was the only way that he could restore the relationship with a father that loves you that had been severed. He wasn't hearing anything but he was hearing your name on repeat. And I'm sure it is possible that he would have been repeating some of those names. Possibly so. Because he was headed there because of you. He was riding on the colt to an appointment with his death on a cross, a gruesome death on a cross, driven by his love for you and I. Knowing that by dying for you and me, by paying the price for our sins, by taking on himself the justified wrath of God as a result of our sins, by taking on the penalty of death that the Bible prescribes, the wages of sin is death, the meager wages of sin is death. By doing all these things, by giving himself as a substitute for you, a substitute for me, by taking on the punishment upon himself 
so that it, God who is fair and just could, could look the enemy in the face and say the price has been paid the ransom has been paid they are no longer yours they are now mine i have bought them with the precious blood of my son jesus christ he needed to buy us back and there was nothing in the world that had the value that was valuable enough that had the price that could buy you and I the six billion that, that exist in the world, the ones that have gone before and the ones that are, are to come. There was nothing that could buy us back but the precious blood of Jesus Christ. He knew as he was riding on that colt, he was driven by nothing else but by his love for us. He knew we would be free from the consequences of our sins, delivered and free. And so he sat on that colt. He considered what was ahead of him. He knew that it was going to be gruesome, being nailed to a cross. He knew that he would be oppressed. He knew he would be beaten. He knew that his back would be lacerated by the whips the Roman soldiers would use to whip him ripping his back into a mass of flesh and bones and blood. He knew that the soldiers would strip him naked and, 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 and gamble over his clothes. He knew all that. The, the, the scriptures had prophesied it. He knew that the spear would be thrust into his side. He knew that at some point, even his heavenly father, who he had this most amazing relationship with, would forsake him Turn his back on him for you and I. He knew that. It's no wonder that when we read the story in the Garden of Gethsemane, he wrestled with this for a while. If this cup would pass from me was his cry because of the, of the, of the, of the magnitude of what he was going to have to face for you and I. But love overcame it. Because of love, he sat on that colt, set his face as, as like flint, and was determined to go to that cross for you and I. What kind of love is this? Well, the Bible says in John 15, the 15th chapter and the third verse and the 13th verse, greater love has no man than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. The human mind on its own cannot comprehend the height, the depth, the width of this kind of love. In the early days, I would try to, and I had a head start. I, 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 I have, but my mother, my mother, bless her soul, uh, as I always say, showed me such unconditional love, unconditional love. I did nothing wrong as far as my mother was concerned. I was just the best thing that has happened to this world. Anything that happened, if there was any altercation, it was the other person's fault, it wasn't her son's fault. I had some measure of a human unconditional love. And believe me, as much as my mother loved me, it was not perfect at all. There were times when I would feel that she did. Now, when I came to meet Christ and I started a relationship with God, I received that unconditional love, but you know the truth? I received it in my mind. It never really got into my psyche, my spirit, my person took over me until I realized that it is not possible with the human mind to comprehend the depth, the width, the height, the, the, in, the enormity, the totality of this kind of love. This kind of unlimited, unfailing love. You see, the human mind can't understand something that is unfailing, an unfailing love. 
It means that you can't do anything that makes the person withdraw the love, an unconditional love. Our minds can't comprehend it. A love that does not ask for anything in return, our minds can't comprehend it. Even the best of our loves, the best of people who love us, there are certain things we can do that will make them withdraw that love. Make them put it on hold for a while. Make them say to you, you've got to correct a few things before you get that love. But so, what kind of love is this? What manner of love is this that is unconditional? It doesn't give me any preconditions to receiving it. Receiving it. That is unfailing. It just simply can't fail. That is abundant, always overflowing. And so, God, knowing that we can't understand it in our human minds, God does something that I just think is an act of grace. He basically helps us. How does he help us to grasp this love? Romans 5, verse 5. And this hope is not a disappointing fantasy because we can now experience the endless love of God cascading into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who lives in us. What does he do? He gives himself to us. The moment you accept the love, he knows, or the love gift, he knows that you can't fully comprehend it. So the moment you say, yes, I, I receive that love gift, he puts himself in you. That's his spirit. And his spirit now starts the work within you of getting you to understand, receive, flow in, accept, and rest in this love of God. It is his spirit that does the work for us. And so day by day, we come to a deeper understanding of it. We come to rest more in it. We come to appreciate it more, receive it more, open our lives to this love more because the spirit of God is doing the work in us. That's an amazing father. Not only does he give you a gift, he takes residence in you by his spirit. Once you accept the gift, to help you to fully embrace the gift of love. It's no wonder then you will understand then what the apostle says, Paul, in Romans as he writes to the church in Rome. He says, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Romans 8 from verse 35. He says, does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death. You see, if God doesn't help us by his spirit to receive this love, we can reach certain circumstances, face some hard times, go through some difficulty that shakes the foundation of the love we have in our minds. But when it is in your spirit, because the Holy Spirit has helped you, you've received the gift, and allowed him to work in you. Then Paul says, nothing. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? If I'm going through trouble or calamity, am I separated from his love? Do I say he doesn't love me anymore? If I'm persecuted, I'm hungry, I'm destitute, I'm in danger, I'm threatened with death. He says, can that separate me from Christ's love? Then he goes on to share his own testimony from verse 38. He says, and I am convinced, and that conviction cannot happen. Mentally, it happens by the Spirit of God. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, 
Neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus. That's an amazing place to be. Because we will face difficult times. We are facing difficult times now. We're in the midst of a pandemic. It's affecting us in different ways. We have faced difficult times in the past. I've been through some, some most difficult times, including the, the loss of a loved one. Difficult times. We face difficult times when we lose a job, when we uh, sadly are in a marriage that collapses, when uh, people we love turn on us, when we face treachery or deceit. Uh, we face difficult times when uh, a loved one is dealing with a long-term illness and we're just holding on and believing God for that person's healing. We face difficult times when uh, we, 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 we come out of university, we apply for jobs and all our friends get on to work, get, go, on, go on and start working and we can't get the job we want. Sometimes we have to settle for less. Those things attack our minds and the list goes on and on and on. We face challenging times when we are holding on to God uh, for something we desire, a prayer, a, 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 a child, a, 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 something we desire, a, a marriage, a chance, you know, or something else. And it seems like God is not answering. These are difficult times. We don't trivialize them. And we are in arguably one of the most difficult times that we have faced in our lives, certainly in my living memory. We are faced with a virus, a pandemic. Uh, that, that no one seems to have a cure for. It, it's, it's taking people's lives. Uh, some of us will know people who have died. Some of us will have loved ones who might, might have died, might have contracted the virus. Just even the psychological torture that a person goes through when they know they have the virus. But in all these things, Paul says none of these things, once you, allow, once you receive the gift of love, then allow the Spirit to cause that gift to take root in you. None of these things separates you from the love of God. He gives us a clear message that you are priceless to God. God loves you. You know, God is not just going to allow uh, the, the enemy to knock you about for sport. No, God loves you. If he allows certain things to come our way, certain difficulties, painful periods, a wilderness experience, you know, uh, deep, serious challenges, then he allows it to come our way and he uses it to work out his plans and purposes. It glorifies him in the end. No father is just going to sit back and watch an enemy play sport with their, with their child or their children. What kind of a father is that? But then the, no father that I know has given a child for another child, sacrificed a child for another child. And yet our fathers would say, our, our mothers, parents would say that they love us. And they do, to the human extent. But like the Bible says, there is no greater love than this, that a man should lay down his life for his friends. My sister, my brother, God loves you. In the midst of all that is happening, God loves you. God has proven beyond any shadow of doubt that he loves you. He has proven it by sending his only son to die in the gruesome way he died to take your place so that he can have this wonderful relationship with you. God loves you. Don't compare the perfect love of God 
with the, with the imperfect love of human beings. They, they are not even in the same ballpark as the Americans would say. God loves you. He loves you. He has you on his mind. He's written your name on the palm of his hands. The, the prophet Isaiah says, your name on the palm of his hands is constantly before him. He loves you. In the midst of all that's going on, allow the love of God to have its way in your life. Trust the love of God. Trust in this God that has paid the ultimate price for you. God loves you. You know, as I, as I thought of this message and thought of uh, Jesus riding on that colt into Jerusalem, driven by love, consumed by his love for you, not seeing anyone but you, going to a cross, a gruesome death for you. I thought of that song by Corey Asprey, Reckless Love. And you know, one or two people might think, well, that's not really a nice word, reckless, to apply to God or to Jesus. But, you know, reckless in this case is not thoughtless, it's not rash, it's not careless. But the love that Jesus showed by resolutely sitting on that colt and riding into the hands of his enemies for you and I is a love that is audacious, it's courageous, it's bold, it's daring. It's a love that is driven. He was driven by his love for you. And I would love you to just receive that love now as uh, we allow, uh, we just en uh, encourage and invite Ariola to minister that song to the Lord uh, as we just thank him for Palm Sunday. Thank him that he was determined to get to that cross. And next week, we'll talk about what happened, uh, not just at the cross, but at, especially on Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. But I, I say, thank God. God, I thank you. And Lord Jesus, I thank you that you love me so much that you went to pay that, or, that, that price by dying in that way for me. Thank you for Palm Sunday. Thank you that you didn't get off that coat. Thank you that you didn't change your mind. Thank you that as you remembered what the scripture said you were going to face, you didn't turn around and go back. Where would I have been if you had not been driven by love?